Hi, this is Miley Danny. I play for NIFHG in Denmark. I've participated in various youth national team tournaments where I've won a silver and two bronze medals. You're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Process Podcasters. I'm your co-host, Mr. Nee Wallace-Bruce and WB. And I'm joined by the talented Mr. Justin Williams. Justin, how you doing? Oh, living the dream. Can't really complain. How about yourself? I'm solid. I can't complain myself. Nobody would listen if I did. Also joining us is the third member of our triumvirate, Mr. Corbett Rond, a.k.a. Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? Fantastic, buddy. We're getting hammered with snow today, but whatever. It's getting close to Christmas. It's about time. Indeed. It is the season for it, if you will. We'll probably get a white Christmas up in the Northeast. I can see it. I can just see it coming. And also joining us in the, the Northeast of North America, it's the sports reporter for Business Insider. She is one who is a specialist on many things. So we're going to get into that and more. It is Meredith Cash from Business Insider. Meredith, how are we doing? Hello. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm good. I, uh, it's a rainy, sleety day here in New York, but... Again, no one's listening to me either if I complain. So, uh, two peas on that front. <laughs> there we go. Two peas in the pod. Now, we yeah. are listening to you, and we, we are very intent in terms of what you have to say today. Meredith, before we get into some of the, the highlights of the year in women's sport, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are? Was sports journalism always where you wanted to be? I, I think I always knew that I I – had an interest in this. It's funny, I was looking back at like a letter I wrote to myself that ended up getting placed in like some sort of time capsule, like in early high school. And it was like, saying all these professional, like fancy careers I could potentially, she, she mentioned it. So it was never, it was never something that I was like, constantly pursuing. And I, I sort of say that I fell into it. But I think it was something that was always on my radar because I love sports and I wanted to be a part of it in some way. And then eventually it made sense for me to make it a career. Basically, my uh, trajectory in, in sports reporting is that I played sports um, competitively throughout playing in college, but uh, I was not good enough to really justify that level of commitment, <laughs> candidly. So I decided to write for the student newspaper um, at Duke, where I went to school. And I loved that. I did that for all four years I was there. I covered uh, women's sports. I covered the men's basketball team. I, I ran the gamut there. Um, and then when I graduated, I was like, well, I guess I'll be a lawyer because I know how to write. But I sort of stumbled upon the opportunity to take a sports internship at Insider. Uh, and I really have never looked back. I've been there ever since in various roles. So that's how I'm here. Nice. And you're a blue devil. Do you still follow the progress of the 
the Blue Devil teams? I do. I do. I uh, I will always have a soft spot for Duke. And I think this year, which is, you know, <laughs> people uh, love or hate that about me, most hate it. But I... I can embrace playing the villain uh, in this in this one instance. I'm very curious to see, you know, how this year goes for the men's side because obviously Coach K stepped out of his role last year, and I've been a little bit critical of the decision to bring John Shire in, not because I don't think he's capable, but because I think the position warrants someone who's like a proven like winning entity, and he's never been a head coach before. But I'm watching closely for that reason, and obviously I'm I'm rooting for his success as a as a bystander and a and an alum. Um, and then on the women's side, I I love Kara Lawson, and I, I'm excited for the program to sort of get back to its former glory because it's been a long time coming. Because you know, there's no excuse for Duke to not have a strong women's basketball team. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Now we're reaching the end of the calendar year. We're recording this in December. What would you say has been a key highlight or one of many highlights in terms of uh, women's sports in 2022? What's something we can look back on and say, yes, that's a, a pinnacle moment? Oh, man. It's it's hard to pin it to just one. I think uh, one theme for the year, I would say, and this has been building upon itself for several years now, is just like record-setting viewership across the globe. We saw the WNBA reached several highs over the summer. We saw the Euros just jam-packed stadiums, like 90,000 people showing up for women's games, which had never happened before. It was, it was, it was incredible. And it felt like this sudden wave all, all, it just all happened at once. And, and I'm of the theory that a rising tide lifts all boats in, in this realm. And I think when you see, you know, women's soccer across the pond thriving, you know, the NWSL is going to take lessons from that and, you know, grow from that. And we've seen record-setting viewership on this side of the pond, too. Um, the NWSL championship and several games have just been thriving when they're on big CBS. Um, it's just really amazing to see the the – oh, and women's volleyball, too, is one that just has had, like, this – ridiculous skyrocketing viewership college gymnastics as well i've written about how suny lee going to uh the ncaa sort of just had this incredible impact on the interest in ncaa gymnastics so just across the board i feel like women's sports have been thriving in terms of interest and obviously there are other areas where work needs to be done to catch up but i think it's so important to prove the concept that way. If you put women's sports in the position to succeed, like people will come and watch. And I think this year was very indicative of that fact. Absolutely. Uh, visibility is definitely key. People can't watch what they can't see. So no one works to need to do a better job of making it accessible and visible. Exactly. Yeah, I think when it comes to women's sports, uh, there are two that I follow very closely. I've been following for a long time and I I am an analyst on one of them and that's women's golf and women's tennis. And I mm. believe that they've been dominant for a great number of years. And I would argue they're probably the more entertaining game in comparison to the men's game right now in both situations. But I think the reason for that being is they were individual sports. 
Yeah. Right. So you had one athlete that could excel. And I think the, the issue with team sports, although it's not as much of an issue anymore, is that you didn't have the infrastructure or the number of athletes available to make successful teams. So where do you think the development and the infrastructure is coming from now to have these team sports excel and continue to excel in the future? Are you asking me or are you? I'm asking you. Um, well, I mean, I think there's investment for the first time in ever serious investment, not just as a charity um, effort or some sort of like pet project. I think mm -hmm. people see this as a as a business opportunity. I mean, you look at the numbers when it comes to viewership and it's like, why wouldn't I try and get involved in this and, and bet on something that could be humongous down the line? Um, I think one thing I want to note about um, women's golf and women's tennis being successful for as long as they have been, part of that is, you know, women's golf and women's tennis had much more time. When you think of like the Billie Jean Kings of the world, like the reason women's tennis is taken seriously and is probably the, the women's sport that's closest to equality, although they're not there yet. I don't think anyone's there yet. But mm -hmm. in terms of the tour getting, you know, I think in the US, the recently, there was a stat that um, the women's the women's Grand Slam matches get more viewership than the men's. Um, and that's not surprising for a number of reasons. But yeah. that only happens when you have titans like Billie Jean King, like advocating for that sport and putting them on the trajectory that she did with um, the $1 deal and the, the, you know, everything that she did with with her colleagues early on. The WNBA, for example, is 26 years old. The NWSL is 10 years old this year. It takes time to build these leagues. It takes time to garner investment and prove your concept and build out the infrastructure that's necessary to thrive. Um, and I think we're finally getting to the point in team sports where, you know, they've had the time to set things up to prove their concept. And now it's now it's about securing those investments and, and putting them to good use. Yeah. And one thing we'd always noticed is major media takes off a tiny slice of what's available to highlight women's sports. Now, you're a American sports journalist. You, you focus on the women's side when possible. How much support are you getting to, to cover women's sports versus the traditional big market men's sports? Mm. It's a good question. I always answer this in sort of this twofold way where I don't think it's lost on anyone that like a major, you know, news publication. I'm I'm at a national news publication. We don't specialize in sports. Mm -hmm. Our sports team is right now, I think, seven reporters. Uh, so the fact that one of us is devoted almost exclusively to women's sports, that's a huge improvement and and pretty remarkable for the for the space. I don't think you'd find most outlets have someone like that. On the flip side, I'm just one in seven. And, you know, 46% of professional athletes are women. Mm -hmm. uh, so that doesn't add up at all. I give my publication a lot of credit. They, uh, they value what I do. They give me the the support and resources I need to do this work. But there's a lot to cover in women's sports. I mean, we we just fired off tennis, golf, soccer, basketball. And, and I mean, there's so much more that I don't focus on hockey as much as I'd like to just because I'm one person, right? How many, how many leagues can one person really cover and cover well? Correct. So I, I would say 
you know, this is not to dig at my employer, but I think in general, you know, 4%, I think the stat is 4% of all media coverage or sports media coverage is devoted to women's sports. And that's, I mean, that's despicable. And you can't mm. grow an audience without, like you like we said before, like visibility is key to, to growth. I'm not really sure why media hasn't picked up on women's sports as an investment because it's a great way to grow your audience long term. But I'm glad that I get to be at the early stages of it, I guess. No, 100%. I, was, I have a quick suggestion in terms of why it's not moving quickly. It's because there's no women in the there's no women in the boardroom. Yeah, <laughs> they're not thinking about it. That's why FIFA's been so male centric for generations because there's been no women at the executive. They they just haven't thought about it. Yeah, you're right. I was actually at a panel last week where Billie Jean King spoke, and she was saying that she thinks that like women sports fans don't. And I, I don't know if I agree with her putting the onus on women to advocate for women, but. So take it with a grain of salt, but she is Billie Jean King. So, you know, <laughs> I defer to her, I guess. She she basically said women's sports fans don't do enough to advocate for women's sports. And she said, I think uh, close to 50% of the NFL's fandom is women. And she she was just spitballing, but she was like, what if all of the women who watch the, uh, the NFL were like, until you put some money in the or respect on women's sports, like we're gone. That would make a big, big difference. And I think, I think to your points, like there, there isn't enough of a general understanding that these things are happening and that there are imbalances here. And like, honestly, I, I wonder what percentage of people are really familiar with like these athletes, these teams, these leagues in a positive way because media tends to cover them only when there's criticism or scandal or something along those lines. So it's an uphill battle in, in certain ways. But um, I, I do think uh, another thing Billie Jean King said was basically, I need women's sports to start following the money. To your point, like putting women in positions of power or advocates of any gender in positions of power to say, hey, listen, this is an opportunity that you don't know about. It's going to make all the difference in the world. For sure. I agree 100%. Uh, so before we started this podcast, like this whole journey, I didn't know anything about MMA. And then Kobe, the gentleman who was just speaking, showed me the world of MMA. And something in MMA is Invicta, which is a women's only uh, MMA promotion, if you will. And they're mm -hmm. amazing, super, super great talents come out of there. Do you feel like, I don't know how much MMA you particularly cover, but with the thought of having like MMA and women's sports in general, having their own leagues and their own finances and their own kind of like latching on to bigger corporations, do you feel like with this year as a success, the following years will be a higher level of success? Um, I, I cover very little combat sports just because we have an incredible combat sports reporter on our team. His name's Alan Dawson. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he does a lot of really good work in the space and he does an incredible job like making sure he covers the women's side of the sport too. Plus I'm I'm also a little squeamish to be entirely honest with you, but um That's fair. I yeah, I have uh I have noticed that the fight space has been 
somewhat surprisingly well ahead of other sports in terms of treating women with respect and, and, you know, like actual athletes um, and not just treating them as pet projects or charity or anything along those lines. Mm. And we saw that like early on with Ronda Rousey, right? But I think, I do think that these things like success builds upon itself, but it's also possible to plateau if you get like complacent. I think there are one example I'm thinking of off the top of my head, and and I don't think the WNBA is plateauing in any sense, but you know they've been talking about expansion for years, and the the current commissioner has been saying, oh, we're going to expand, we're going to expand, and she had a deadline for the end of this year, and she s- sort of punted on it and said, you know, this is something that's not happening until 2025, and I don't think it's because there's they don't have the finances to do it. I think it's because the league and the the basically the executives of the WNBA aren't marketing themselves to the right people and and making the pitches that are fruitful for both sides. And I I'm I know that that's like a very broad statement, but I think I think part of the issue is like you need to keep innovating and keep keep your foot on the pedal, I guess. And I think the WNBA as the like longest tenured women's sports league in America is the most established entity by nature of that. But it's still only 25 years old, the NBA 75. And I think you need to keep proving yourself as a new entity, even in that case. And so that's a very long-winded way of saying like, I do think this means that next year women's sports continue to be on the rise, but you need the right management who's forcing the issue and not getting complacent. Yeah, exactly. You need, yeah, I, I understand that. You need somebody to kind of not not to take the reins, not someone I'm thinking of, but essentially kind of hold up that sign and being like, hey, look at this, like, look what we can do kind of deal. I feel like, you know, you get record viewership, right? And then you're like, oh, great, the fans are here. It's like, no, you gotta, there's no guarantee they're coming back, right? Like, you've gotta, you've gotta keep making the, the product that they want to see. You need to keep finding the investors who are going to help you bring in new teams or new markets or that kind of thing. I don't, I don't think it's just, it doesn't necessarily like grow upon itself. You have to, you have to cultivate it. I agree totally. Now, speaking of the WNBA with Brittany Griner coming back, like that, that was a that was huge headlines everywhere. Um, a lot of mixed emotions from people regarding her return to the WNBA and coming back to, to America. Do you feel like that is going to drive up not only just temporary, but actual retention fans? Oh boy, that is a complicated question. I think, you know, when she first came back and, and even still, the, WNBA commissioner, her agent, her former coaches, and like other players who either have played against her or like one I spoke to was her uh, teammate on Team USA was kind of like, hey, like, we don't know if she's ever going to want to play again. Like this was some pretty, can I curse on here? Go ahead. I don't have to. I was, yeah, I was going to say that (laughs) she dealt with some pretty fucked up shit, right? Like, and it, it was because of basketball that she was there and this happened. Mm -hmm. So this player I spoke to was like, listen, this could go one of two ways. Like she takes, 
solace in playing the game she loves and, by the way, is incredible at. I mean, she's a generational talent and will go down as one of the best women's basketball players ever and probably already has, even though she's like 32. But the other way is like, you know, I never want to touch a basketball again. I don't want to be in public with, you know, all of these eyes on me. Like, I've dealt with some fucked up shit and it was because of basketball. So I think, first off, we can't really presume that she's necessarily coming back. That said, there have been reports that she's already, like, gotten some light practices in and, like, her first, the first thing she did was, like, step out there and dunk. And it's like, okay, that's a pretty uh, encouraging sign. That said, it's a whole different beast to get out in front of an arena. Mm -hmm. If she were to come back, my hunch is she'll come back eventually. I don't know if it'll be this upcoming season. But if she comes back, like, yeah, of course, there are going to be a ton of eyes on her. I don't know if it's going to create a sustained fandom. But I do think that, you know, a lot of people know Brittany Griner's name who didn't know her name before. And a lot of people know that she's associated with the WNBA in a way that they might not have been familiar with before. And so, you know, there will be massive coverage of her first game back. And I think people will see her name floating around and probably have an outsized interest by nature of the fact that she went through what she went through so publicly. But, you know, if they're if they're interested in, in Brittany Griner and they they watch a game that she plays, I think they'll see really fast that, you know, she's she's dominant, she's entertaining to watch. Like if there's any player who is going to captivate your interest from like a superficial standpoint, it's probably Brittany. And I, I have no doubt if she were to come back, like she's gonna put on a show and it's very possible that people will watch her game and be like, damn, I, I didn't know women do this. I didn't know they play at such a high level. You know, they give it a chance that they wouldn't have otherwise. And maybe you do get some fans that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm very excited for her return. And uh, like I said, like, so we have a TikTok. And in that, I did a, a thing about Brittany Griner coming back. And we got like a lot of mixed reviews, both publicly and, and privately about it. So... I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm really interested to see when everything kind of comes to light, what's going to happen and when she plays, who are people just kind of talking out of their ass that they actually mean what they said, but regardless. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. And um, regardless, it's great that she's back. She's back in time for the holiday season. Just in, in isolation, it's a good result. Sign up to SoRare, the ultimate fantasy sports NFT platform. Scout, collect, and trade officially licensed digital player cards with other fans in our open marketplace. Create teams with cards from your collection and earn points based on your players' real-life performances to compete in a variety of fantasy sports competitions. Showcase your skills and go head-to-head -head with managers from around the world to rise up the weekly rankings and earn rewards. Yes, so rare is a game that you can play this season and the next and the next the next it's almost like a, a dynasty spin on fantasy this is something that's available in formats such as nba mlb and also football the world game so what are you waiting for get involved get in the game get some cards and have some fun oh did i tell you it's free by the way yes all you have to do is sign up kobe showed me it's it's really that simple you just sign up create an account and then you can start playing and if you want to 
go a little bit harder and purchase some limited, rare or unique cards, you can do that too, but at a base level, this is really just a free, fun way to play with your mates and show who's really in the know when it comes to sports. Because ProSource Podcasters, we know our thing, but so rare is a chance to go up against us and see who really is the smartest in the room. So hit the link in the show notes and we'll see you on So Rare. Own your game. Now, Meredith, i got to ask, the WNBA, they've talked about expansions you touched on. Do you think it's viable that we see a team in Canada, namely Toronto, in the future? Oh, man, I want it. Uh, selfishly, I love Toronto. I think it would be so fun to come visit. I think, you know, the Raptors' success a few years back was indicative that the whole country can, like, rally around a an NBA team. I'm sure they can do it with a WNBA team as well. I'd really love to see it. I think there are some issues with... Um, when, when we talk about infrastructure, right, one of, one of the big pain points for players right now is that they fly commercial. So, you know, some team owners are better than others about, you know, the Las Vegas Aces um, owner is known to like buy out all the middle seats. So their players at least have some space to stretch out, but they fly commercial. So if there are delays, if there are cancellations, like that affects players, you know, We've seen things where teams like don't have a chance to actually get to their hotels and they end up straight at the arena because they had like a hellish flight situation. And that becomes a problem when like the Liberty are going to Los Angeles or to Seattle. So I could only imagine when you factor in the international conversation, how much more complicated that could become. But, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic that it's something the WNBA will be able to address with its next CBA. And before that, you know, they are due for a new media package. um, And those negotiations will happen next year and the year after that. How those go and, and how much money they command for their for the right to broadcast games that's going to tell a whole lot about whether the league can push forward with like charter flights and and potentially expanding into new markets that otherwise are kind of out of bounds just because, you know, the logistics of getting across a border are so much more complicated than flying within the states. So, I'm I'm hopeful. I think it would be amazing. I just hope that uh <laughs> I, I hope that they can handle the flight situation before then. Mm-hmm. Now, now, you've raised a good point here because I, I do recall I'm a Brooklyn fan in the NBA and I know Joe Sy <laughs> owns both the Liberty and the Nets. Yeah. Now, I recall Joe, I believe he went as far as flying his team on charter planes to the point where the league got upset. And I think he was willing to fly all the franchises, you can correct me if I'm wrong, on charter flights. but somebody disagreed with that. Are you able to illuminate us on, on this situation and why team owners aren't allowed to put their teams on charter flights? Yeah, um, it's it's complicated, but ultimately uh, I'll give you like the mile-high overview, which is Josiah is obviously a multi-billionaire. He owns the, the Nets and the Liberty um, and... Yeah, he's got he's got all of the resources in the world to be able to provide 
charter flights to his teams. Um, obviously, in the NBA, they have them automatically. But the Liberty were having serious flight issues during the season, and he was just sort of like, fuck it. Let's get you guys planes. The WNBA considered that a competitive advantage because, A, it's, you know, not in their collective bargaining agreement. Players are meant to fly commercially as of, you know, that 2020 deal. And frankly, there are some team owners who can't afford to charter planes for the whole season. You're right that reporting from um, Howard Megdal, who's like one of the foremost women's basketball reporters out there, and I highly recommend reading everything he writes. Um, he broke the news that A, the Liberty had been, or Joe Sy had been fined on behalf of the Liberty. I don't know exactly how that works, but they were fined for this situation. And that Joe Sy had, he had issued a proposal essentially to all of the team owners that said, listen, like I talked to some airline or some some potential sponsor and like they'll give us the money for every team to have charter flights for every game for the next three years let's let's put it to a vote and some of the owners who are not as well resourced shot it down because i believe the quote was something along the lines of we don't want the players like getting used to that and i guess the fear was three years out they wouldn't be able to continue the charter flights that obviously boiled my blood as a as a women's sports reporter who only wants women's sports to be like treated fairly and like professional athletes and professional entities and leagues and teams but i think the the bigger issue here right is there's a big disparity in the haves and have-nots of the wnba and i think it's become an issue where like Half of the league is really, or the half of the league's teams and their owners are really inclined to take a step forward and, and progress this league. And the other half are sort of holding back by nature of the fact that they just don't have the financial ability to forge ahead that way. I'm of the belief that the league should force those latter teams' hands a little bit. You know, like, you don't have the money to be able to do this. Great. Like, you, you've got to fundraise. Like, you have to reach this level of threshold. You have to be able to do this, that, and the other thing in order to continue with your franchise or you're out. But again, I don't know the, the legal ramifications of something like that. I just know that it's something that the league continues to deal with and I think will only further deal with as it expands and brings in new ownership groups who ideally fall in that former group of, of, well-resourced and like ambitious owners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because even from an economic point of view, if players are flying charter, they'll be better rested, so there'll be less wear and tear, less injuries, so less medical bills. They'll perform better, so better results. It's for me, it's an investment, but I guess some of those franchise owners don't see it that way. Anyway, um, such is life. Yeah, I mean that's kind of weird to kind of get fined for a sense of just helping out your own team and again it's kind of like hey that's a bit of a bit of an unfair kind of situation but also like if you have the money and resources why would you i don't know uh, stuff like that kind of gets me and bothers me the the real one was when the other team owners refused to have it paid for them yeah that was yeah. really frustrating because then it's you know there's no competitive advantage or disadvantage that's across the board and they're just being frugal and that was 
that was so infuriating to me because it's just like you're refusing to you're just holding the the league up mm-hmm legit that's kind of like but also like, i, I kind of see some from some owners when uh if that were to be the case like if somebody comes over and goes listen clearly you're having money troubles or you just don't care about this let me care about your child for you oh that's <laughs> That's the, that's, it's literally it was a dick waving competition, <laughs> and he just slapped his on the ground and was like, "Listen, <laughs> this can supply everybody's needs." Thousand um, percent. I yeah. do think the solution, and this may have been what Josiah's suggestion looked like, was something along the lines of, "Okay, Delta is the official like airline sponsor of the WNBA, right?" And then they provide the charter flights as a result of that, and maybe that cuts the fees down like considerably for like across the board. That feels like a viable solution that sort of cuts out the dick waving component, but I don't know. I don't begin to pretend to understand like the the hubris of man, so I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I don't understand either, and I am one of them, so I'm just like, right. I'm, I'm, maybe it's because I don't have that type of money. I don't understand what it's like. But if anyone's trying to help yeah. me out, I'm like, bro, like let's do this. Look at the NFL. I mean, mm-hmm. shit going on right now with the ownership and everyone talking shit and. Trying to get dirt on other people. It's like, my God, you guys just don't have any perspective. But, you know, that's a whole different conversation. I feel like that NFL Christmas party would be amazing if it was just commissioners, <laughs> just uh, not commissioners, but like owners altogether. Fly oh, on the wall. Just, oh, so awkward. I wonder if there'd be any deals going down there. But of course. Anyways, of course. Now, before I personally have to leave because I have to head off to work, what event are you most excited for in this coming year? Women's World Cup. Um, That's what I thought you were going to say. I am so excited for the Women's World Cup, man. Um, I think it's going to be huge. I think Australia and New Zealand are going to be an awesome host. And I think, you know, I don't even think this is a hot take, but it's probably not a welcome one. The the playing field has evened really, really, really uh, extremely since the last Women's World Cup, right? Like... Yeah, U.S. Women's National Team ran the table. I, I mean, there were good teams there, but this time I, I don't even know if the U.S. Women's National Team should be considered a favorite. And I think it's it's going to be fun to watch some, you know, given the success of European women's soccer, just watching some other teams, some other, you know, European-based superstars get some some spotlight. I think it's going to be like a more complete product, and I'm I'm pumped to be part of it. Uh, I'm excited to watch it. I can't get enough soccer or football in my life. Anyways, I'm going to have to head out now, but it was a pleasure speaking with you, and I'm sure Kobe will be able to handle it from here. I mean, maybe Yeah, not. nice <laughs> to uh, virtually meet you. Nice to virtually meet you, too. Keep it going, boys. Meredith, are, are you familiar with the PHF? I am familiar. I I don't get to cover, cover it as much as I'd like to um, for the reasons I said before of just being one person covering half of people, but are in sports, I guess. But um, yeah, I am familiar. Okay. So this is more of a general question that, that covers a, a wide spectrum of things, but the, the PHF for those of you that don't know, though we, we do cover quite a bit of it is the premier hockey federation. It's a women's professional hockey league. Only a couple of seasons ago, it was the NWHL, the national women's hockey league. Decisions were made to distance themselves 
from the male product, from the men's product, and come up with a, a name that set them apart as their own thing. Do you think that's maybe the better way to go as opposed to something like the WNBA, where you distinguish yourself as uniquely yours and not a women's version of a successful men's league? I think there are pros and cons. I don't, I don't mean that as a cop-out answer, but I think one of the things that has been helpful for the WNBA is, you know, having the infrastructure and having the, the resources that come with having an established, well-resourced, successful men's league attached to your name, right? I mean, when you look at women's soccer in this country, by uh, contrast, you know, the, you know, the NWSL is the current iteration of that, but there were two other leagues that folded prior to that. And I think it would be less likely for a league to fold outright if it had the backing of MLS or, you know, for example, you know, you have the Women's Super League in Europe, which is, or in England, which is connected to the Premier League, or that, you know, the clubs are, have a men's and women's side. I think that that's really helpful in order to just have like a sturdy foundation. But do I think that the WNBA and probably the Women's Super League too, although I'm less clued into that culture, face like, candidly unfair comparisons by nature of being associated with a men's league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Like I think a lot of people will look at the WNBA and they'll say, you know, oh, you should lower the rims so that you have more dunks like the NBA. And it's like, first of all, there are women who already can dunk on 10 foot rims. Second of all, you're asking these very talented players to relearn the game because, <laughs> yeah. you know, moving the rim has a big impact uh, on how you how you approach the game. And, and third of all, like, why does it have to be the same thing, right? Like, I don't really think that most people who turn on an NBA game are turning it on just to watch dunks. Like, in that case, why do we have Steph Curry as one of like the foremost stars? Like, he's not a dunker, you know, like, and there are plenty of women who can shoot from range. So like Steph Curry. So I think I think a lot of arguments that aren't really well-founded stem from the idea that like these leagues are uh, necessarily like put up next to each other because they have these same roots or alliances or however you want to phrase it. Mm-hmm. But there are obviously the financial and resource benefits of doing so. So it's a it, it's tough for sure. No, for sure. And I, mean, I, I bring it up because I, I know people, I have friends that are big basketball fans and occasionally they'll watch a WNBA game and be like, wow, this is just, it's just a, not the same level and it's not the same thing. And they look down upon it because they expect to see just the women playing the men's game and it's, it's not the case. So I wonder if these separate entities may have a, a more of a space going forward. Yes. It's, yeah. The point you raised, Kobe, is um, it's something I've I've heard often. I've heard it across a number of sports. Like, why don't the women do what the men do? I mean, I, I think it's bullshit because <laughs> <laughs> no, because someone says, "Oh, wh- why don't why don't the women basketballs do what the men basketballs do?" Well, do, do we see women's McDonald's AAU camps for women? I don't see those. Uh, I don't see 
I don't see the same resources for young female basketball players that we see for the men. So right. why are you asking dumb questions when the the women haven't been given the same development resources as the men? It's the same for soccer. Women say, you say, oh, the quality of women's soccer is not, is not as good as the men. Okay, well, where are the girls' academies? Women were banned from playing football from the 1920s and up until the 1970s in most parts of the world. Why are we asking these dumb questions when the, it was under-resourced to begin with and we still haven't given women the pathways they need to develop and catch up to the men, right? Thousand percent. <laughs> anyway, the question I wanted to ask uh, Meredith, that aside, was you've been to Toronto, so are you a fan of the Putin? Um, yeah, actually, I am. I didn't eat it in Toronto. I've, I haven't been there for a very long time, but I have a friend who went to Queens College and she lives in uh, New York now. Um, she's, she grew up in New York, but then like has both of her parents are from Canada. So she went to college there, came back and has made me a big fan of this Canadian bar in Chelsea. Shout out to the Canuck because they're great. And, you know, it's the best place to watch hockey games or Raptors games or anything having anything to do with Canada. But I'll have poutine there. Um, she also introduced me to this Canadian drink. It's like a Bloody Mary, but not. Do you know uh, what I'm talking about? It's a Caesar. Kobe has one yes. every day when he wakes up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There you go. I have a problem. <laughs> and I love it. I love it. When she first introduced me, I was like, I don't know about this. And it's amazing. So I um, this is part of the reason I'm very pro WNBA expansion to Toronto, because I like the food. I like the culture. I like the drinks. I'm down for a for a business trip to Toronto anytime. So I uh, right. I have my fingers crossed. There we go. We'll have to catch up uh, when you reach here. But um, I know the the Hockey World Championships will be in Brampton, which is just north of Toronto in April. The PHF All Star Game is in Toronto on January 29th. So if you want to, you know, put in your requests, just dropping some hints for you. Just saying. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I might have to do that. Indeed. Now, where can we find you on social media? Yeah, so so long as Twitter continues to exist, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm at Maircash22 on there, um, and I may or may not be a notable entity because of the new uh, the new verification <laughs> rules. <laughs> the non-verification rule? Yeah, it's like, I, I felt bad about that at first, and then I saw that, like, Cher, the, the international pop superstar who's also a Twitter legend is also may or may not be notable. And I was like, right, like, you know, it's okay. Um, very humbling for share. Not so much for me, but um, that's where I am on Twitter. You can check out my work at business insider or insider.com. My name should, or my work should come up if you uh, go to our sports page or search my name. And I also have a women's college basketball podcast called brawl. Don't lie. If you feel like listening, if you're interested in NCAA women's basketball, we, you know, just shoot the shit and it ends up being a lot about like just general happenings in the women's sports world and, you know, comparisons to men's college basketball and just kind of speaking truth to power. And I happen to think it's relatively funny. So give it a listen if you're interested. There we go. Right on. Sounds good. Now, just before we get you out of it, I need a bold prediction from you. So. Who is going to win next year's Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand? Ooh. Uh, I think I think 
I think it could be coming home. I really do. I think England's got a great team. We'll see what happens with Spain because obviously they've had some issues off the field that have uh, impacted their A team basically not showing up. <clears throat> but England's incredible. I mean, I I think they have all of the momentum on their side and I would not be surprised to see it. So we'll, we'll see. Okay. You know, you didn't say Canada. I did not say Canada. I uh, you don't I you don't, don't you don't like Canada, do you, Meredith? You don't like Canada. I do like Canada. I actually really I feel like they are a uh, listen. I I was not picking them to win <laughs> the Olympics, so they could surprise me again. But I, I just think it's time for Europe to break through, given how strong a product they've shown themselves to be at the club and uh, international level in the last few years. But listen, Christine Sinclair keeps chugging along. Like, we'll see. <laughs> Indeed. Wait, wait, just one last quick question. Do you think we'll ever see a Women's Club World Cup? I hope so. I think that would be awesome. I think that would be great. Okay. All right. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience. Where no sport is left behind.